The scripture reading this morning is from the ninth chapter of Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Brian. Grace to you and peace this morning. Today is Christmas Eve, but right now it is also not Christmas Eve. It's December 24th, which is Christmas Eve day, but right now it's only 10 in the morning, and we at Mount Olivet have decided that at least until the sun starts arcing downward, we are still in Advent and not yet in Christmas. But we are right on the cusp, aren't we? And the lines between the two start to blur a little bit this morning. And even though we have distinct themes and feelings of Advent and Christmas, they are starting to come together. Advent is about a deep longing for wholeness, a wholeness for ourselves, but also for the world. Advent starts with looking at the world as it is and naming the ways that it is not okay. This year has been heavy. Within this congregation, there's been death and disease and divorce, family strife and careers that have ended, dreams that have been broken. In our nation this year, we've seen mass shootings, white supremacists marching, and a general breakdown of public discourse. And our earth itself is not okay, filled with famines and floods and fires and long sequences of hurricanes in succession as scientists report that climate change is happening faster than we had imagined it would. And so Advent is this time where we look at the world honestly, and we say that not everything is as it should be. But we don't stop there in Advent. Advent is not about shrugging in the face of adversity and tragedy. 
and resigning yourself to feeling like all of this is normal and about trying to make it all okay. Advent is about leaning into this hunch that is written into our souls that things could be better than they are, that there is another chapter yet to be written, and that despite all the heartache and hatred we witness, the world we live in is a place that is ultimately beautiful and good. That's what Advent feels like. It's this longing. It's holding a vision of God's renewing love unleashed on this world and counting it as more real and true than the horrors we see around us. Listen to the vision this morning from the prophet Isaiah. It was spoken by someone whose nation had been on the losing side of a war, and the author knew what it meant to see violence and to suffer oppression, to have prospects dim and hope fade. And yet Isaiah's author is still able to cling to this vision of a light in the darkness, of a day when we throw away the instruments of war, of people getting to cast off the yoke of oppression. In Advent, our longing straddles the divide between what we see on the surface of the world and the goodness we know in our hearts and bones. And that longing and that straddling, it's good and it's true, and there's a place for it in our faith lives. But it is not actually salvation. Your yearning for wholeness doesn't actually bring wholeness. See, we're all human, and that means we all have limits. Each one of us only has so much energy each day, and our wells of resilience, however deep they may be, all dry up eventually. The visions we have of peace, of abundant joy, of relationships restored, those visions are fragile. We can't carry them on our own. Left to ourselves, our longing turns to doubt. We can't tell by ourselves whether these visions of overflowing love are wispy fantasies that will dissipate with the slightest puff of wind, or whether they're seeds being planted that will steadily and stubbornly grow into reality. We need an assurance from outside of ourselves that these visions and that these longings that we have aren't just daydreams. This is why Advent isn't the only season of the church year. This is why many of us will come back here tonight. For Christmas is coming. And Christmas is when God breaks into this world to say, yes, it's real. It's not just in your head. There really, really will be a day when the last are first when the lonely are comforted, when the poor are properly regarded with dignity, and where the violence we wreak on one another comes to a blessed end. Christmas is quite 
literally when God puts some skin in the game, coming to us in flesh and blood, in the baby laid in the manger. All of this baby's life, and even his gruesome death, represent God's full-throated yes to life and to creation. Everything that Jesus ever did showed that God is serious about love being the cornerstone of this universe, and that in the end, forgiveness is stronger than hatred, community is stronger than fear, and life is stronger than death. Christmas is about God's proximity and the assurances that proximity gives. We are not alone here. The one who created this universe didn't do it as a joke, but out of a deep, deep love. And that same one will stay near us until love is all there is. Christmas is about God entering creation to give us a solid place to pin our visions of a world restored. Now, the prophet Isaiah didn't know Jesus. That came 700 years later. But I do believe that the prophet Isaiah knew Christmas. This is because he realized that God was close at hand breathing possibility into despair, and breaking into history with the promise of transformation. For the prophet Isaiah, it wasn't just that the people who walked in darkness had seen great light, it was that they, even when they walked in darkness, they were not alone. They had never been forsaken. There was someone else there with them, bearing witness to the silent struggles of Isaiah's people, and drawing forth life when possible. There is a divine you behind it all in this text. You have multiplied the nation, Isaiah says. You have increased its joy. And this is what Christmas is then. It's the promise comprehended in faith that God is with you and that God is for you. It's not Isaiah's own efforts to cling to his vision of hope that allowed him to lay down his burden. Left to himself, the vision surely would have withered away. What allowed him to lay down his burden was that he grasped that he didn't have to bear that sense of hope alone. For God had been hoping and walking with him and his people the whole time. Because of God and God's nearness, Isaiah glimpsed that the hope he had was rooted in the very fabric of the universe. That's, that, too, is what Christmas is. It's the promise of God's presence, the knowledge that we are never alone, the awareness that the universe is not, after all, a cold competition but a love song sung from the first moment of creation that you suddenly realize that God is now singing to you. When your life crumbles, when the weight of the world bears on you, you don't have to bear it alone. You can lay down your burden and rest in the God who has come near to you and to this whole world in love.
God is here and God is with you. Amen.